0: If you told me at the beginning of this week that I would preach from these three passages, I would have told you, that's not going to happen. Uh, I'll usually preach, stay within one text. I used other scriptures to, to, that speak to that text or to which that text speaks but to take three monumental passages like Daniel 7, 13, and 14, John 1, Philippians 2, 5 through 9. um, You would usually take each one of those and preach three or four messages. And to put them all in one message, uh, (coughs) that uh, I leave usually to other people. This week, as I was thinking about this, I thought of a conversation I once had with my mentor, one of my mentors in the faith. You've heard me speak of him often, Dr. R.T. Liston. Dr. Liston said to me early in my ministry, he said, John, I was talking about preaching from Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, John... He said, you need to preach Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in one sermon. One sermon covering all three chapters, a whole Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> I said, Dr. Listen, there are volumes. I said, I have books in my library, one book on just the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters. I have another book written by a well-known minister. That was our work that was several books put together on the Sermon on the Mount. And I said, please tell me why you think I should preach it with one message. He looked at me and he said, it's simple. Jesus did. (laughs) I wanted to beg off and say, well, I'm not Jesus. But... We're supposed to emulate great preachers, and he was the greatest. And soon after that, I preached a single sermon and covered the whole Sermon on the Mount. Well, that's what I feel like. If I had walked in and and Tyler was preaching this morning and he he had chosen these three monumental passages, I would have said, Tyler, what on earth are you doing? This is this is immense, but I hope uh, I hope this morning that when we come to the end, that you'll understand why I did this on the second Sunday of Advent. This seven hundred eighty-four page tome is entitled Systematic Theology by Louis Burkhoff. It was published in 1939. Between 39 and 72, it went through 12 printings. It is a theological classic. You owe Dr. Burkhoff You really do. For you had not known it, but you have benefited from his devotion to biblical scholarship. It's through that tomb, through Burkhoff's systematic theology, that I have been led and guided for 52 years in studying God's word in the ministry. I pray it's been profitable for you. Part 1 is simply titled The Doctrine of God in this his work. Part 2 is titled The Doctrine of Man in Relationship to God. Part 3 and that's where that's our subject for this morning. The doctrine of the person and work of Christ. Now, that division is not new. When you talk about Christ, the person and work of Christ. In fact, most theologies break up the life of Christ that way. The person of Christ, the life of Christ, the work of Christ. This morning... We heard the prophet Daniel, the apostle John, the apostle Paul speak on the person and work of Christ. That's what those three passages have in common. They're all about the incarnation. They're all about the person and work of Christ. As we look at these passages this morning, first I want you to see these passages tell us that the person and work of Christ are transcendent to all other persons and all other works in the history of mankind. Think of all that's happened in world history. If this morning I'd ask you, what is the greatest event of human history? Who's the greatest person of human history? What we have said, think of all that's happened in the history of this world. The great conquerors, the great leaders, the statesmen, the great wars that changed and decided fates of nations and continents for generations. Think of the composers, the authors, the scientists whose influence we have felt for centuries. These passages before us this morning tell us that the person and work of Christ, now listen, In our real world, the world of Washington, the world of international governments, in our world, these passages tell us that the person and work of Christ transcends all persons and all works. God, speaking through Daniel, told Daniel's world, This is who the Messiah will be. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one. This is the one anointed by God to be the Messiah. The word Christ, Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. It's his title. It means like the word Messiah, Jewish word Messiah. It's a Greek word that means the anointed one, the one that God anointed to be the Christ. This passage shouts to us in Daniel that as a person, now in just in his personhood, as a person, he transcends all other people. Listen to what is written. Look at Daniel. Look on the scripture sheet. Daniel 7, 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. And was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. The NIV translate that worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. This is taking place in heaven. Here is God Almighty on His throne, the Ancient of Days. And here comes one, not an angel. Here comes one like a son of man. And to Him was given a great kingdom. To Him was given great glory. He is of such magnitude that all nations, look at it, all nations, all languages Worship Him like they worship God. His dominion is everlasting. His kingdom is everlasting. It's eternal. His kingdom shall be indestructible. Last for it can't be destroyed. Think about that. Let's talk about the church. The kingdom of God. Rome. What was it compared to Rome? How silly it would be to compare the church to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Rome tried to destroy it. All the power it conquered, nation after nation after nation. It could not conquer the church of Jesus Christ. In our day, Hitler tried to destroy it. He couldn't do it. Russia tried to destroy it across vast portions of Asia and Europe. Couldn't do it. China has tried and continues to try to destroy it. It'll be just as futile. What was God telling Israel there in Daniel? The Messiah, the Christ, will be transcendent, will be above all in his person and in his work. Daniel, people, Daniel was speaking of that which we are celebrating this month. He was speaking of the incarnation. God taking all flesh. He says, this is what will happen. This is who's coming. What was Jesus? We learned this in studying John. What was Jesus' favorite title when he spoke himself? What title did he use more than any other? It was his title from Daniel. He was the son of man. He used that far more than any other title about himself. In our second passage, here comes the Apostle John. And he speaks as one who actually saw the person and work of Christ. He actually experienced this, Daniel didn't. He himself saw and experienced the coming of the Son of Man. So what did how did how did John describe this? He didn't go to the place of conception, to Nazareth. He didn't go to Bethlehem, the place of birth. He reaches he reaches back. And what does he say? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was, what, with God? So he's distinct from God. And yet the very next phrase is, and he was God. It says, The world, look at that passage, the world was made through him. And then he comes to that amazing statement. Here is the Ancient of Days. Here is the Word, the Son of God. And what happens? The Son of God, the Word, became flesh. I mean, this this blew away John's world. The world at that time. God became flesh. That actually happened. John says we saw his glory. We saw him make the blind to see and the deaf to hear. By fiat, by command, he didn't pray. He just commanded and it was done. We saw him stop storms and raise the dead. We saw his glory. Of whom was John speaking? So, you know, if somebody says... Who's the word here? Who's John? Who is this that John's describing? Jesus. He's transcendent. Deity. He was transcendent in his person. Transcendent of every other human, human being in the history of the world. His work was transcendent. John says to those that believed in him, he gave the right to become the children of God. And they were born, born of God by the power of God. Who can say that about themselves? Can you say that about your president? Your parents? What who, you know, whoever the, whoever's transcended in your life, can you say that? That you know what? This person changed me, supernaturally changed me the very core of my being. He was transcended in his work. Well, the third passage. The Apostle Paul, he looks back. He didn't experience. He he didn't meet Jesus. He He wasn't with Jesus like the Apostle John was. He looks back and he sees what has happened and what's continuing to happen with the person and work of Christ. So let's read that. Look along with me. Have this mind, Paul's writing, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, and by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he starts out with the person. He said he was God, and he took on flesh, became one of us. Then he starts talking about what he did. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then look at this. He says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every knee, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, In heaven and on earth and under the earth, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what's Paul say? The Word, the Son of God, Christ, came from heaven. But he emptied himself. He laid aside his glory. Born in the likeness of man. And he died an atoning death. But here's what I want you to see. What does God the Father think of Jesus? What does God the Father say about Jesus? We read that God gave him a name that is transcendent of every name. Any name in history. Any great person. Any great people. No matter who they are. So that when you hear the name Jesus. The world hears the name Jesus. They should bow in heaven and on earth. Paul was shouting to the world of the transcendency of the person and work of Christ. What other person is like the person of Christ in being? He stands alone. No one's like him. What other person reaches back to the beginning, before the creation, as his individual person? All through the Old Testament, God said, this is who's coming, and this is what he will do. All through the New Testament, God was saying, this this is who has come, this is who came. This is the one who's ascended to glory and he is returning to vindicate his word, to vindicate his truth, to vindicate his rule. So what's the point? It was the first point where we began. These passages tell us that the person and work of Christ are transcended to all other persons and all other works in the history of mankind. Secondly, secondly, these passages explain the transcendent impact of the person and work of Christ on world history. Now, if this is who he is, who was, who he was, and who he is in his person, if this is what he did, these were his works, what kind of impact would a life like that have? It would be huge. It would be cosmic, you would think. You know, it's like we can, we can look at the moon, we can look at the planets through telescopes, and we see huge craters that have been made by meteors, asteroids that crashed in to the moon or the other planets. Huge craters. Craters that say a huge, huge impact was made here. By some kind of cosmic body. Well, what kind of impact should someone like Christ make on history? Well, what would you have thought would be the outcome if you had observed that his birth? was to an unknown commoner living in the backwater town of Nazareth with her carpenter husband. What would you have thought when he did not raise a military army or aspire to be a military leader or statesman? What would you think if you saw this transcendent person doing preaching? in teaching, as an itinerant rabbi. What if you observed and you observed that, you know, the men that he chose to represent him and to be his men, they were quite common. They weren't highborn. They weren't educated. They were uneducated, in fact. They were fishermen, and they're supposed to be his future leaders. You'd say, you must be kidding. Jesus, this is not making much of an impact. here. Now you say, well, he did make the blind to see and deaf to hear. He stopped storms to prove his deity. He did do that. He fed thousands of people with a paltry lunch brought by a boy. He raised the dead. But then you would see it all end. When the Romans, at the urging of the Sanhedrin, drove the nails into his hands and feet and put him in the most cruel way of death, that was devised at that time, crucifixion. And these these men that he had chosen to carry the message, these men that he had chosen to be his men, that motley crew saw him dying on that cross and they were packing and going home. They had given up. This was one who they thought was Messiah, but it was past. It was done. They were quitting and returning home. That's not much of an impact. Well, true, you do see him return from the grave. But after a month and ten days, he left suddenly. He left that same motley crew that had deserted him. And they were going to take his story. To the rest of the world? When he left, you know, when he came, Rome was the most powerful, godless nation the world had ever seen. When he left, they were still in charge. Jesus did not change that. You would have thought this one who God said would be the most transcendent person who ever lived, who also said that his transcendent work would change the world, he certainly should have had more of an impact. But what happened? Stick with me. What happened? That, you ever thought about this? That motley crew finished writing God's word, was what they did. They gave the world the New Testament. If it wasn't for these men and the power of the Holy Spirit, you would not have, we would not have the New Testament. Think about what the New Testament did in this world. They built churches. They went north. They went south. They went east. They went west. And everywhere they went, the gospel went. And churches were built. Who would have thought that the itinerant rabbi of Galilee would become a household name throughout the world for the next 2,000 years. Who would have thought that his kingdom has built more hospitals, more children's homes, more schools, primary schools, colleges, than any nation on earth. You know, you saw him stand there in Galilee and tell the crowds that his kingdom would grow to the ends of the earth. (coughs) Excuse me. That's laughable. Itinerant rabbi. Yeah, your kingdom's going to grow to the ends of the earth. That's going to happen was laughable when he said his kingdom is indestructible because there he is crucified on a Roman cross caught in these great political gears that are transcended of him. But you know what happened? Go home today and look at that cross that you wear around your neck or that you have on your wall that cross has become the greatest religious symbol that the world has ever seen. Why? Because our transcendent Savior died there. You think, You think that if he really was the most transcendent person who ever lived and that his work was the most transcendent work ever accomplished. You think then he and his work should have made more impact. You know what? Most people think that way. Even most Christians think that way. I dare you to tell me that most Christians really do think and live that Christ is the single most transcendent person in all of history and that his work is the most transcendent work world changing our problem we don't think that way our problem is that we've grown up with the story we've grown up with the church we take it for granted Let's just take away all the hymns. No hymns. We don't have any hymns about God or Jesus. Take away worship. Take away Augustine, Huss, Zwingli, Calvin, Luther. Take away the Reformation. Take away anything that has to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, just take away the name Jesus. It doesn't mean anything. Go back and look at the world before Christ. You see, when you do that, since His arrival, since this incarnation of the Son of God, since His atoning death at Calvary, Since his resurrection and return to glory, the world has been forever changed. Stop and think about what the world would look like without the word of God, without the New Testament, without Jesus, without his church. You want to live in the United States? A lot of people want to live in the United States without the church of Christ. I don't think that would be a very good place to live. No word of God. He was indeed, his impact, his impact was indeed transcendent. You know, I love Christmas. I love Easter. Two of the major holidays of the culture of Western civilization for centuries, Christmas and Easter. By the way, what's the, what's the etymology of the word holiday? What's the etymology of that? For the people from Ole Miss, etymology is the history of what a word, how a word developed. Where did the word holiday come from? It came from two words, holy day. Holy day. In the beginning, it referred to Christian or sacred feast days. We have civil civil, we have civil celebrations in the U.S. like the 4th of July, Veterans Day, Labor Day, Memorial Day. They're not sacred days celebrating facets of the person and work of Christ. But one can easily argue that Christmas is the most celebrated holiday, holy day in our country no civil day of recognition can come near the impact of Christmas what does Christmas celebrate it's a transcendency of the person of Christ doesn't talk about his work that's Easter just his person the son of God come in the flesh Easter celebrates the most supreme work of Christ, his atoning death and resurrection. After 2,000 years, in the most powerful nation on earth, right here today in the United States, the incarnation and the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are the most celebrated holy days. Holidays, even out in the world. This is the impact. I was watching somebody on our street and they were decorating their yard. Christmas. And they had, it was, it was attractive. It was nice. And some of the the decorations in other yards spoke of the birth of Christ. But this one was completely secular. And I wanted to say it first, you know, that's sad. And then I just started laughing. Here's somebody, and I don't know, them, they may not, they, let's say they're not Christian. And they, what are they doing? They're showing the impact that even the world celebrates. Even the world recognizes he had an impact. So, <clears throat> two points. These passages tell us that the person and work of Christ are transcendent to all other persons, all other works in the history of mankind. These passages explain the transcendent impact of the person and work of Christ in world history. He did shake the earth. And he'd shake it even more. So, in closing, how does one miss or forget the premier person and work of human history. How's it we miss that? Well, it's right there before us in these passages. When Daniel wrote his words about the ancient of days and the Son of Man, you know where Daniel was? He was down in, he wasn't in Israel, he wasn't in the temple. He was down in pagan, secular Babylon with Israel, exiled there. Why were they there? Because with all the blessings God had given, all the things He had done for them, they had forgotten. And they had followed after other gods. And they were living like we live today in the a... world. That's when He wrote that. John wrote about the word becoming flesh. And what did he say? Look at verse 10. He was in the world. Jesus was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. John was saying, we live in a fallen world and God shows up. The Son of God shows up. What do we see in the Gospels? The world constantly striving against him. When Paul wrote his words, In Philippians, where was he? He was in jail, in Rome, awaiting execution. Why? Because of his faith in Christ. If we are with this one who is transcendent in his person and transcendent in his work above all other persons and all the work of history, if we're with Jesus... And I'll tell you, we're going to be in constant conflict with the world around us. We really are. Study church history. Every Christian denomination, you can't find one. No matter how solid it was and how great it was, you can't find one that didn't in some ways succumb to the power of the culture of the world. the denomination in which I was raised. I've talked about it very often. She had once been a faithful bastion of faith in the person and work of Christ. Today, that denomination does not believe in his deity, does not believe in the virgin birth, does not believe in his atoning death. They've completely left it. This week, I was several times pushed away from my desk and was so sad. I can't stand the thought of Christ's Presbyterian church becoming like that. And yet it happens over and over and over again in history. A few years ago, I was walking, and we're at the end, I was walking in the streets of downtown Inverness, Scotland. I saw something I had never seen before. It just shook me. Here was this majestic old building, and I couldn't even see it from the street in front. I had to back away from it and get on a hill, and I realized. That at the top of this majestic old building, etched deep into the concrete, was Scripture from God's Word. And this had been a secular building. Now, I began to look around, and I, I saw other buildings like that, old buildings, 150, 250 years old. Cultures just don't do that. These people, the people that built that building, were so entrenched in God's Word, so entrenched in Christ, that they had to put God's Word, they had to put a passage from the New Testament up there. But when I was there that day and saw it, 95% 95% of the people in Scotland were not going to church. Only 5%. Scotland had fallen so far. Only 5% of the population. Sad. That's where our country is headed. What's going to keep us here? What's going to keep us faithful? Why am I saying this to you on the second Sunday of Advent? I pray that you'll grab your family, your children, your wife, your husband, your parents, your grandparents, your grandchildren, Grab them by their spiritual appels and tell them in no uncertain terms that the person and work of Jesus Christ is is the greatest, excuse me, that the person and work of Jesus Christ is the greatest person and the greatest work of all history. Tell them the why of Christmas. Tell them they don't want to live in a world without the Incarnation. Without Christ, without His Word, without His Gospel, without His Church. Tell them that you yourself would rather live in a hovel with Jesus than in a palace without Him. Oh, that Christ Presbyterian will live out the impact of the incarnation for generations. Amen. Our hymn